Welcome to the latest installment of Building the Scottish State, and I have the great pleasure to have uh, Angus McNeil with me once again uh, to share his insight on uh, basically what's going on. And it's not as if there haven't been some pretty significant developments over the past uh, couple of weeks uh, regarding Scottish politics. So first of all, thank you, Angus, for being with us once again. Thank you. I might be Angus the fifth McNeil uh, tonight uh, it's, <laughs> uh, to borrow from the American is it Constitution or Amendment to the Constitution? The Fifth, Fifth Amendment to the Constitution against self-incrimination, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So things are febrile, shall we say? Yeah. Just give me your impressions of it to, to the extent you're able to, to talk about it. Well, it depends between the court case, Joanna Cherry, everything's everything's the the committee at the Scottish uh, Parliament. Um, you know, I just think wish we were concentrating more on independence, and I wish the debate was uh, was about the two more important things in, in the longer term, uh, over and above the sort of the the short burn, the intense burn at the moment of other things that are going on. But you know, Mike Russell's come forward with an idea of the eleven point plan, which I'm not certain what its status is at the moment. But uh, given Mike's got a job with the government, they'll probably try and translate that into be a party sort of idea uh, to go forward. And you know. Mike's plan is only a plan to take us to court. Um, you know, point 10 of the 11-point plan will have us in the courts because we can't have a Section 30. And the reason we had a Section 30, uh, Mike tells us, is because it wasn't the powers in the Scotland Act originally. So if we don't get a Section 30, we're now going on to a weaker way to try and get ourselves a referendum. Uh, and what it would seem very obvious to do is just to use the ballot boxes in May and ask the Scottish people what they want to do. Now... Some will go around and say, you know, Mike himself has said, Mike Russell himself has said, if the Scottish people vote for something, they should get it. And I agree, if they vote for independence in May at the election, they should get it. Um, we've now got 21 polls out of 21 wanting Scottish independence. This is the, a campaign for Scottish independence, remember? You know, I think it's a little down in other polls, but polls are always up and down against each other. But the, the, the trend is good. Brexit is bad. Uh, why aren't we pushing for this? And that's the debate I'd love to be having. But... <laughs> There are other things being discussed I'm aware of, so that's why I'll be Angus the Fifth, maybe. Okay, yeah, right. Well, we can focus more on independence and, 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 and the plan. And so you would just like to use the the the, uh, uh, the May elections as a plebiscitory elections, and that would... Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, it's there for it. It's um, there to put Westminster into a, a position. Uh, I'm sure that politicians in Westminster would pride themselves in uh, respecting the ballot books across the world, would demand politicians do, would... They certainly wanted Donald Trump to, certainly wanted Lukashenko to do. They certainly don't want to be in the brackets of those two. And sometimes opponents of this plan will say, what if Westminster says no? Well, Westminster's never indicated it's going to say no. The only people who say no are those who've got a preconceived view of Scottish independence having to be through a referendum. Mm -hmm. The referendum, as they admit, is not guaranteed. It might mm -hmm. not happen, therefore. Um, and we could be left twiddling our thumbs in this sort of situation for a number of years or waiting until our opponents um, get their act together, yeah. uh, at which time the moment might have passed. The moment is great now for Scottish independence. Um, and quite why there's a reluctancy to talk or to cross-examine. Um, I was reminded this week in the trade bill at Westminster that governments, when they're doing trade bills or whatever, don't like scrutiny, don't like questions, don't like to reflect, don't like to think, don't like to be taken out of the preconceived ideas. And perhaps it's the same with the, with the SNP to a certain extent that we need to push uh, ourselves and check, is this really the best idea? Because mm -hmm. prior to the 2019 election, it wasn't the best idea. We also have to face the fact we didn't have a plan for Brexit. Uh, so we have been lacking in strategies and we have been lacking in, in, in fluent uh, thinking. And if we have, uh, let's not repeat the mistake. You know, loyalty is a great thing, but if it's unthinking, and if it leaves us into a cul-de-sac, um, then that would be a huge, uh, grievous error uh, to have made. And it will cost a lot of people in Scotland a vast amount uh, over the space of their lives. So I would, I'm trying still. I mean, I realise it's only 80 odd days till the 6th of May. And I do realise that time is short and that it is likely in the balance of play not to happen. But well, uh, the, the manifesto, the SNP manifesto is supposed to come out soon, and that's I, that's to be drafted, I, I, I guess, I imagine, with the agreement of the other people on the NEC, I imagine, uh, by uh, Keith Brown. And, uh, I mean, I've talked to him a couple times. He seems pretty, you know, nice guy and seems very sympathetic. Oh, lovely guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm just wondering how constrained he is and what he would be able to propose on uh, in a manifesto and whether he could put your plan B in there, basically. I don't hold it 
a major hope. The silence is um, uh, speak more loudly. Uh, we haven't seen, uh, you know, we we saw a railroading of bunching together at the last conference. We saw all sorts of nonsense at the 2019 conference, um, and. We left. The, uh, we're left the last, with a, that was the last one in Aberdeen, right? In the new yeah. And then 2019, poor Chris McElhenney went all the way to get booed <laughs> to talk about Scottish independence. But you know, the downside. I've said this to Michael Russell. The downside of that was nobody in the leadership or 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 from the stage that day in Aberdeen uh, demanded uh, respect for fellow members. You know, Chris McElhenney wanted. I, I wasn't going from the Hebrides to Aberdeen to to fail, but I didn't exp- imagine. I thought there was some other. T- clever device that they would they would prevent uh, the thing by. But, you know, he went up and he was booed and there was no, uh, it was no sort of call for respect or discipline within the party. And that was a shame, but it was a bigger shame the thing wasn't debated. Mm-hmm. It's a bigger shame that, you know, the 2019 election was, it was a predictable, unpredicted, a dead end as regards uh, the constitutional advancement of Scotland. And it was, you know, I've said it, I've said it to them before that when they, got the no from the section 30 basically the Scottish government stuck its tail between its legs it couldn't it had no further to do um, now at least this time they plan to legislate uh, and get themselves in the courts um, of course <laughs> you hey. can go to the courts on something that's weaker than a section 30 good luck uh, Lady Carmichael didn't rule on it as regards uh, Keatings and yes. of course in section 30 everybody thinks is for a referendum a section 30 order in council means the movement of powers yeah. Um, and it's not impossible that Westminster's going to have a section. If I was Westminster, I'd wait until after the Scottish election. I would then do a Section 30 order in council to uh, make sure there was no ambiguity about the powers to have a referendum in Scotland and move the powers then, and then let them go to the court, because they're going to lose. They haven't got the powers. I mean, the, the courts can't give you anything. They can only adjudicate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the law is the law. Uh, so I'd make sure if I was Westminster that I'd, that I'd the law uh, properly written after... Uh, the election so that just in case they did it before the election and they could veer to my policy uh, or a policy a number of us, not mine, it's, it's a policy a number of us have espoused and actually been done in many other places as well. Uh, they couldn't veer to that before the election. Uh, so, you know, it's a there's a lack of gaming, but if you don't go on and, and discuss and talk and debate, uh, you will find yourself in the 2019 cul-de-sac year again and on an election that we called on very strange tactics. And if you look back at the reasons we gave to remove Boris Johnson, there's only one problem with that. Boris Johnson had a huge poll lead. And Boris Johnson was far from removed. He was he was further entrenched mm-hmm. and he hasn't been losing votes in Westminster since. Mm-hmm. And why do you think there is this reticence to even debate it? I mean, how do you, how do you explain it? <laughs> it's kind of baffling that, that, uh, that the first minister would just kind of paint paint uh, paint themselves into a corner there. You know, you say, "Oh, it's, this is the only legitimate way," and it's not. I mean, there are other le- le- legitimate ways. Uh, you've given your own way as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, uh, why? Because let's be honest, we had a number of tactical uh, issues. We, we we lost the majority that we had in 2011 and 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the 2017 general election, we lost the majority again. That was that was the hangover from Alex Salmond's um, referendum. Mm-hmm. So that's two. We then spent 2018 um, discussing the um, Brexit. Mm-hmm. Most of 2019 and the back end of 2018 wasn't a referendum in Brexit. Uh, that tactic didn't get us very far, especially when we blew up its chances by causing an election that gave Boris Johnson a majority. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, we had no strategy for an early Brexit of uh, March uh, 2019, wasn't it? Yeah. And we no taxes has transpired either or no plan, I should say, for a, a Brexit at the end of December 2020. Um, so we, we have to face the fact that we can get it wrong and we have got things wrong and we might have it wrong again. Mm-hmm. Um, and surely some uh, cross-examination of it now without people in half conversations um, telling you what they think your plan is and why they think your plan is wrong. Um, you know, I think their plan is fine. Uh, the only problem is go to Westminster will say no, or will take, go to the courts and make sure they win. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> um, therefore, I think we should just listen to each other's plans and have a discussion about it and make sure we're doing our best for Scottish independence. In the meantime, somebody else might come in and actually have a better plan than everybody else put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if ideas and if raising your voice is to be frowned upon, 
uh, and you've just got to agree agree to go down a cul-de-sac. Well, as in 2019, you'll find yourself in the cul-de-sac uh, with Westminster saying no and you've no fallback plan. It was quite obvious before that election. I mean, that that Section 30 should have been asked for, the Section 30 referendum should have been asked for before the election. Mm-hmm. Why we waited till a week after the election when Boris was very powerful, again, is a tactical and strategic error. Uh, but we're not honest enough in the SNP to face up to our strategic and tactical errors uh, because we mask it with the fact that we got more MPs and therefore we tell ourselves it was a success. And from that point of view, it was a party political success. But for the constitutional advancement of Scotland, it was stalemate. It was no advancement. And we could have had advancement. Yeah. And um, uh, you, you can take the fifth on this if you want. But I just w- was wondering if you had anything to say about the, you know, the demotion of uh, Joanna Cherry in the in, in the Commons and just if you have anything to say. Yeah, about- well, I suppose I've, I've got a mild view. I mean, Joanna Cherry was by far the best uh, SNP front bencher of, of anywhere. You know, she was she was an absolute rock star between of any of them doing any brief. Um, and, you know, whether or not Joanna Cherry's face fitted or whatever, Joanna Cherry was working away in the justice brief very well and winning plaudits for the SNP. Mm-hmm. And, even, have... and even Jacob Rees-Mogg, I saw his uh, very... Yeah. It's like the first time I'd ever seen Jacob Rees-Mogg say anything I even remotely agreed with, and he was very gracious. I was, I was impressed. Yeah, I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg, I find Jacob Rees-Mogg personally fine. His politics, he knows full well. I don't, I don't agree with at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't agree with mine, of course. Um and he was, he was indeed gracious to but Joe Cherry. But, you know, Joe, Joe Cherry was very good at what she did. She won plaudits for the SNP. You could have left her in that silo of justice just fine. And I think, you know, when she was removed, uh, I think the SNP were a bit shocked. Uh, Joe Cherry's meet, tweet went out at 1.30, just as the group meeting started. She would control of the media. She would control of the narrative by then. And I think uh, those who did it uh, maybe uh, didn't think through uh, the ramifications of the act, and this is again a consideration of thinking through the ramifications of going to an election with a certain mm-hmm. policy. You know, think through uh, what those actions might win. And of course, jo- Joanna Cherry has g- had great and has great um, traction with the public for, for all that she's done. She's been a high profile figure, uh, which has come of some cost to herself. And then, of course, she was given a death threat by an SNP member. I didn't realize it was an S. I didn't realize it was a member. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, it was an SNP member member, and she had to she had to get herself. And you know that people are pointing out there's been no condemnation properly from the party and all that. You know. Yeah. Uh, which is disappointing. You know, given given I'm sort of the, the sort of guy who'll point to Giver Hofstad who's got something to say about everything under the sun except Catalonia. Yeah. Uh, as right regards the injustice there, I mean, if we're uh, prepared to uh, condemn. X, Y, and Z everywhere else. And then this one was on her own doorstep. So that did, should you, did you see the story about um, Josep Borre, who's the, who's the, um, uh, who's the, fo- of the EU foreign minister, and he was in Moscow and, uh, and the, you know, and, and he, you know, it was a total disaster and there were, people are asking for his resignation. But one of the things that Lavrov said was, well, what about Catalonia? What about, uh, you know, you're, you're lecturing us, but, you know, what about... Um, and, you know, you were quite right to lecture Moscow. And many of the things that Moscow does. Only problem is, is that when you leave your back door open like that, you can be lectured back. So, I mean, I think there were a number of things that have been, I've been learned about the Joanna affair. Yes, could it have been handled better? Yes. Um, you know, I think the, the, Joanna Cherry didn't lose anything, we've got to remember as well. I've read this, you know, this point that came home. She didn't lose anything. There was no ministerial card with a third party job. I mean, these are third party spokesperson jobs. Um, you know, they're, they're done out of the goodness of, of the heart rather than being any any great um, feather in the cap, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Joanna Cherry didn't have a grace and favour house. She didn't have a chauffeur-driven car. There's nothing like that comes with a, even the Labour Party uh, positions, far less the SNP third party positions. All Joanna Cherry got from that was a whole load of time. So yeah. if you found Joanna Cherry as a thorn in your side, <laughs> you make it busier. <laughs> don't, give her, don't give her time but you know I, I don't know I mean that's it maybe was a, a decision of a genuine uh, reshuffle but I don't think most other most people thought it I don't know what, what, what the thinking was but it, it didn't come off well in the end anyway I mean that, that nobody can argue with that Okay. Uh, question: Is it is it is it even possible to get a population majority at the ballot box in May? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah. Uh, would it happen? I mean, 100% of people could could vote for uh, 
could vote for Christmas every week or, or for less carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Um, they could vote for anything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the way the polls are at the moment, I think bearing in mind that independence is still more popular than the SNP in just about all yeah, these... Yeah, no, I, that's, what I, that's what I was observing because they, the media always says, oh, uh, support for the SNP is down, therefore support is independence. Yeah, down. I mean, it's I support for independence at all. is in a very good position, really. Um, so it is po possible. It's also possible that you go and speak to, because if independence is your number one gain rather than party political gain, you go and speak to other parties who might be standing in a similar-ish ticket and say to them, look, um, do you want to say something similar? And, you know, I think the SNP will have a majority of seats anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, other parties would be free to adopt that as well. You wouldn't maybe even have to say to them, you just put the signal out. Exactly. I've, I've got more to say on that after the after we finish yeah. our interview. But uh, absolutely, that's kind of what's, what we've got in the works. Um, and uh, let's see. And so how do you see the once independence is achieved one way or another, the, the dealing with, um, with whether the, you, you go into the European Union or EFTA or what kind of scenario could play out? Because absolutely, of course, we want to at least, you know, Scotland needs to at least be in this, in this uh, common market. Uh, and um, and customs union, uh, you know that, that's just completely obvious at this point, given on what's going on in Northern Ireland. But uh, how, how do you see that? How do you see that playing out in terms of either EFTA membership, EU membership? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I think with the EA and that, they they have themselves in, in the single market, which is easy easier trading. It just depends how easily you want to, to trade with your neighbours. You know, in Europe at the moment, there are twenty seven countries. Uh, that have got a tremendous trade deal with 26 others. Um, so each one of those easily crosses the border, not a problem at all. There's one that's got a pretty third division a trade deal uh, with with all the rest, and it's got a trading block smaller than its own borders. Mm. Yeah, and that's and that's the UK. So I don't think you want to be in that position. You want to be in the position of those that are enabling business and commerce and and people to make a living, yeah, and not fill in forms, but actually to to to, to sell things. Uh, to um, Barcelona as easy as you can sell them to Brechin, you know, yeah. or to sell them to, I don't know, Milan as easily as you can sell them to Malig, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, therefore, you're talking single market and, and customs union. Um, where we are at the moment is <laughs> in the worst of all worlds and we don't know what will be surviving, which is another reason, actually, before all our businesses are choked and killed in three or four years' time, let's yeah. move on this in May. Yeah. Let's ask the Scottish people, let's get their intention in the bank. You know, yeah. Some people will say to me, well, what if Westminster says no? Now, firstly, why are you asking that question? Why would you expect them to say no? Yeah, but if you do expect them to, to, to say no, isn't it a very difficult position for them to say no? Imagine the internal divisions they will have saying no to people at the ballot box when around the world and by capitals in Europe they're being bracketed with Lukashenko or, or, or the failure renegade Trump. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a position that we really could be taking advantage of at the moment, and we're choosing not to. And we've got we've got our opportunities. You know, yeah, yes. In fact, we'd have to spell out for as long as England, Wales, or whatever the rump UK would be having borders with the rest of the world. It would also be having borders with an independent Scotland. That would be something uh, that would have to be managed. But at least it'd be managed as a land border, and not a border dependent on weather and ferry timetables as well and ferry capacity. Uh, so you would have a bit of a longer road there, probably 15, 20 minutes longer, uh, but it'd be a lot easier uh, than, the, than the bottlenecks we're seeing at Dover. Also, we've seen how Stena have moved some, some of their ferries uh, from various routes uh, to the south of Ireland, now Rosslea. Yeah, you were mentioning that last time, I remember. Yeah, and, and round to, to, to Normandy in, in northern France and Brittany yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, the, the routes from... Are they, are they starting to go out of Roscoff as well as... Um, yeah, the, the routes from Southeast Ireland to the continent are about the same as the routes from Rosyth uh, to the continent. I mean, give or take half an hour, three quarters of an hour. So, you know, the, the Irish are finding um, that it is a lot easier and to go round England and Wales rather than drive through it. And I think by April and July, once the import controls are there as well and the... UK importers are squealing like the exporters, and then the wisdom of the Irish moving decision of haulage in Ireland will be will be very clear uh, by then. And, you know, Scotland, Scotland might find itself uh, similarly positioned, uh, but there's everything to go for. And also, we might bring some sense round to our, then this quite a small part of Europe uh, to rethink what they've been doing. 
I, I agree. Let's see, as a um, let's see, as a constitutional expert, do you draw? A, a, do you see a drawback in a plebiscitary election? Would other countries recognize the result? That's a I good question. Give, I, could, I could give a stab at that before you do, but uh, I think it's perfectly legitimate. There's no, I mean, there's, and there and there's no, and the and the British government has agreed to the case of Kosovo that doesn't, you know, that doesn't that where UDI is not banned in uh, international law, and people always hold up the. Um, Catalan situation, and that was different because they had the the election based on holding a referendum, uh, which they did, and then of course we saw what happened with the police intervention, etc. But you know, I, I don't know how it would have gone differently if they if they had hold, held a pure plebiscitary election like what you what you're proposing, where that that's it. You know, I don't know whether it would have been done, done differently, but um, it would have given the you know, the Spanish authorities less scope to intervene, but I mean, they, they were living under such a very difficult situation. Yeah. All of the court orders, all of the, you know, stop, stop, don't, don't do this, don't do this. And, and they had the, ca the case with the 500 page case with all of the, so um, I, I think it is perfectly legitimate to do it that way. And, uh, and I think other countries would respect it. You know, they would make good arguments saying, look, this is what the situation we're in. You know, we, you know Scotland wants to be a, a participative, uh, a positive member of the international community. And I think a, lot, a huge amount of countries would be sympathetic, especially, you know, in the UN, for example, especially ex-colonies. -col ex they say, yeah, yeah go, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, so, I mean, that, that's my view. How, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, the question is, will other countries recognize the result? Now, firstly, other countries have got better things to do uh, than sit around wondering what Scotland is doing. At the moment, they don't give a damn. Uh, Estonia is very worried about what's happening in Estonia. And I mentioned that because of Leslie Riddock's excellent documentary on YouTube about it. But similarly, Portugal's getting on with Portugal. Iceland's getting on with Iceland. New Zealand's getting on with New Zealand. Peru's getting on with Peru. Uh, as so far as they think about Scotland, it's minimal. Um, they aren't going to get together and say, ooh, down the pub, shall we all, shall we all recognize Scotland or not? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> what will happen, really, is it depends on if, will Scotland recognize Scotland? Will the Scottish government take the view of the Scottish people seriously? First of all, will they take the Scottish people seriously enough to ask them the question in May? Uh, if they don't, uh, then we're going nowhere. If they do, and the Scottish people say they want to be independent, then the Scottish people should be respected, firstly, by all the people in Scotland, by the government of Scotland, by our neighbours. Um, and if we respect the result, everybody else will recognise it. Let's, let's imagine the, the ridiculous scenario that Sweden didn't recognise Scotland wanted to be independent. Well, 80% of Scotland did. What would happen? Nothing. Scotland would be independent. That's it. Yeah. Um, so we, we hang ourselves up on stuff, allowing other people to decide for us in Scotland. Will Boris let us? Will the international community? Yes, if we are serious about this, and we go around this in a nice, sensible, kind, sober, decent manner, well-organized, using the legal ballot box. It's the most internationally recognized event you can have as an election. Mm -hmm. uh, so there is so much that, that we have going positively for us. Uh, we really are the people that the, the phrase, nothing to fear but fear itself, is, is made for. That's, that's, a, that's a beautiful point. I'd never thought of it that way, but it's just much more important than international recognition is self-recognition. Domestic recognition, yeah, self-recognition, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if we've held an election on those terms uh, and people opposing it, now it's up to us what we put to the people. Mm -hmm. And if some on our own side, so a lot of the time now is not, we're, we're not spending it, making the case to unionists, we're trying to get beyond the internal of our own party to try and get out to ask the people a question. So we know Boris Johnson is going to block the people uh, from being asked a question at a referendum by Section 30. The Scottish Parliament might pass an act, he's going to block it in court. He might even take the power, that particular power away from the Scottish Parliament. So that'll be blocked. The only thing that we've got guaranteed coming to us in a ballot box event of the elections, but we ourselves are blocking the elections. And that's why I've said it before, I'll repeat it again. The 2026 Scottish elections could be the 2021 elections uh, for slow learners, as Seamus Mallon, God rest him in Northern Ireland, might have said. Um, so we are the ones who are preventing this being used in this election. It's, not, it's nobody else. It's us. Um, and, you know, the only thing we lose in that is five years. Five years of Rishi Shun Sunak. We saw how damaging five years of George Osborne and David Cameron was with, with austerity yeah, and every other zany policy that they brought in. So... We are the ones who are preventing Scotland moving forward, and you know we we have to own that. Um, I'm trying to avoid us owning such a, such a matter. But I saw somebody say there the years we might have a referendum in the chat. Uh, well, we wouldn't have one in 2021. 
It'll take the electoral commission three months to check the check the wording. Uh, it'll take us a while to get it through Parliament. We'll be in the courts for a while because that's the definite. We're going to ask Boris. If I was Boris, it'd take a long time asking them, because in the 11-point plan, it's a Section 30 request. So if I was Boris, I'd get the Section 30 request, let's say in June 2021. I'd respond, tell him I was considering it. I'd respond about November, February 21, 22. Uh, wait until they've got the, give them another three months electoral commission, get them the courts, hoping that events will come along to change things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, we've got an ob- obvious goal line tapping uh, coming up in May, and we're refusing to put the ball in the back of the net. How can how can we make that happen? I mean, how, you know, I mean, it's it's. I mean, uh, what, what I'm speaking with my friends on my little uh, on our on our Saturday evening discussion is is uh, is presenting basically what you've said. I mean, as a but as a, as a, to be adopted by all of the pro independence parties, not just the SNP, but the you know the Greens and the ISP or whoever else runs, that they will enact. You know, that they will declare independence after that. If there's not a um, uh, if there if the, if the British government doesn't recognize it, then that will go to the international community. I mean, I'll, I'll send you the document, but I think it's... Yeah. I mean, I think the British government will recognize it. I mean, I think, you know, we, we're we building big bogeymen that are like telling us what to do and send us off to bed. And, you know, it's getting late now. The big bogeyman in London might not recognize what you want to do. So you better go to bed and stay quiet and wished, wished for independence for a, for a decade or two. Yeah, it's, that's it's, effectively it's, what we're going to do. That means wish, right? Yeah, so, wish. Okay, uh, right. Right. I, I, I was, I was, I thought so. Oh well, I, we can wish and wished for independence. <laughs> it's going to amount to the same. Absolutely, deadly squat. Uh, sadly. Um, let's see some of the some of the other questions. Early, um, do you think that'll be the death of the SNP? No, I don't. I think we're an optimistic lot. Um, it's always just over the horizon. So. We're, we're quite easy to keep going in our optimism, to be honest. But, you know, I'd rather move beyond optimism. I'd rather be moving to a practical situation of doing things for the country that were good. Um, so maybe maybe that's what some people think. We'll just keep going with the internal. Did Lady Carmichael do a massive body swerve with the Martin Keating Section 30? Ah, OK. I mean, myself and Kenny McCaskill backed Martin Keating's because we just wanted that answered. Really, actually think the Scottish government should have done that in the last four or five years established, can they, at their own choosing, can they have legislation through their own parliament for a referendum? They didn't do that. Martin Keatings is doing that. I felt that with Martin Keatings, Martin Keatings wants Lady, wanted Lady Carmichael to uh, pronounce and pronounce that the parliament could. Now, I'm going to understand, Lady, uh, she's merely a referee interpreting what the current rules are. She isn't giving the power. Yeah. Right? She's, she's the judge of the power, so that... However, she felt various, and she didn't think it was, it was uh, I've forgotten her three reasons, but the first two in particular. Well, uh, one had to do with standing, and one and it was before, premature. One, one wasn't really current or relevant at the moment. I think it's very yeah, current right. and very relevant, so I didn't agree with her there. But, you know, had she spoken on it, and maybe, you know, I think Martin thinks, Martin Keating thinks he will get um, some decision in the inner house or inner courts or whatever he calls it uh, by, by the end of March. You know, if if there's a decision, yea or nay, um, that the Scottish Parliament has the power, then that gets us all back to, to thinking. The one that's probably more difficult for my argument, and I like to argue against myself, um, is that if he says you've got the power, therefore you can turn around to my argument and say, well, uh, <clears throat> why have a section, th- why have a, an election and re-educate the people about using the election for independence what we can use the referendum because she said we've got we've got those powers, and of course then one thing you would have me then as long as Westminster didn't take away the power, that is the only risk you've got with that one. If however the the result comes back that they do pronounce it and you don't have the power, that completely scuppers uh, the Michael Russell eleven point plan, and the danger is then we've only got five or six weeks to an election, um, and we would know. We come up to the 2021 election. We'd know that we weren't using the election for independence, and we'd know we couldn't have a referendum after that. And that was a really bad cul-de-sac to have got ourselves into. Rather than to have a led, educated, been first of all established in courts, could we or couldn't we? Then made a judgment: would Westminster move the powers, or wouldn't it? And then been able, in the fullness of reflective time, to say: do we use this election or don't we? Because the real risk we might have is that we find ourselves just waiting for 2026. Yeah. 
why can't the Sco uh, Scottish government legislate now and name the date and perhaps a June referendum before the election? Then everybody voting SNP knows beyond doubt what they're voting for. I, I, that's, I think that's a good question. Uh, uh, I, yeah. And, and, and I, I remember seeing some comments uh, by Mike Russell and others in the papers that they were sort of thinking along those terms, that they would name a date maybe before the election so that, and, and it may well be that they're doing that. I don't know. I mean, I mean, the, the, the only problem with that is, again, it's not established that we've got the powers. So we could pass something and we could go to the courts or London could could remove the powers. Um, you know, we could say we've got this, we could, uh, uh, and we're looking to have the referendum in June. Uh, we'd go to the courts straight away. I think, well, we couldn't actually probably do that quickly. Well, we maybe could, depending on the Electoral Commission, how quickly they could move but by the time we got that legislation through, uh, so June would probably be an impossibility to do that for now because Parliament will rise and Scottish Parliament will rise at the end of, of March. Um, so that one that one still has the risk that it's not established that the power the Scottish Parliament actually has the powers. So I think um, Westminster will, will play around with courts for that one for a while. But again, if we'd done that in time and we'd have known... Uh, Could have planned accordingly, yeah. We have choices, yeah. Yeah, weird, weird. And what do you, what do you think about the whole the whole notion of voting on the on the list seats of voting for pro independence parties other than the SNP, so that the SNP has a solid majority, but the, but there's able to be more pro independence parties at, at the list seat level. How, how do you, how do you see that? Well, as an SNP politician, I will have no. to tell people <laughs> to vote SNP one or two. Uh, beyond that, I take the fifth. Okay, sold. <laughs> <laughs> I can dodge you with maths and logic by saying I'm taking the fifth. Why do so many London-based Guardian progressives oppose independence? That's a good question. Uh, because they're not progressive enough, obviously. <laughs> they're not as progressive as they imagine they are. Uh, it's quite funny, that one, because I know a number of English MPs uh, from all parties, but particularly, it's, let's say, in, in the Labour side, who are very relaxed about Scottish independence to the point of just go for it and don't mess about. Um, who would be uh, very supportive of, let's say, Venezuela or anywhere else that was on a self-determination move. Uh, they'd, be, they'd even tell you they were very much in favour of United Ireland. But when it came to Scotland, they were hush, hushing about Scotland, you know. Why, um, why do you think that is? I mean, my own view is that it's, you know, of course, you have the nuclear, you have the oil, you have the nuclear uh, stuff, uh, you know, you have, you have whiskey revenue, and you have so much of the of the private land owned by basically the English aristocracy. And I, I and, that, and that's one thing that just- or, or, or whoever wants to buy it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's a hangover from empire. I just really think that uh, people take a long time to sort of, even, you know, you can see that in Spain, regardless of which parties in power, socialist or rabid right-wingers, um, the idea of uh, self-determination for, for uh, the Catalans or the Basques uh, is an absolute anathema. Uh, to them, um, so you know, and these are these are also states with a, a famous imperialist past as well. So uh, you know, I do think. That oh, the I, left I've made that parallel. Yeah, I made that. Yeah, parallel. the left wingers and the right wingers have probably a, a difficulty with that. Of course, once we're independent, neither of them will have a difficulty with it, um, as they are with Ireland. Um, I was. I don't know if I've ever told you, Mark, of the time I was in company with the Irish president, Michael D. Higgins, and uh, David Cameron came to join us. The reason I was speaking to Michael Higgins. I'd met him in my 20s at a, outside a bookshop in Galway when he was a TD. Uh, and I'd been over learning a bit of Irish. Sorry, what's, it, what's, it, oh, sorry, what's a TD? Uh, Chakra Doyle. It's uh, oh, just well, an MP in, in, okay. the, in the Irish Parliament. Yes, yes. And um, he was, you know, we were just chatting to each other for basically somebody told me who knew him and knew me that would get talking outside this bookshop. So this was fine. He was uh, just the MP for the area at the time uh, and Labour Party, in fact. Uh, but I'm quite in, into Gaelic and, and given I was trying to learn a bit of Gaelic and spoke Scottish Gaelic, um, I ended up chatting to him. Anyway, the next time I met Yerman again was in the robing room at the House of Lords and I went up, I was speaking to him in Irish and Scottish Gaelic, the sort of mixture together, just, just for the hell of it, really. Yeah, sure, sure. And David Cameron came up to up to join us and uh, obviously clocked, there was another language going on, but you know, he probably pressure of his day, he broke in and was telling Michael D. Higgins how great the relationship was with Ireland. It had never been better. And it hardly needed any effort at all, just a little nudge here and there. And, you know, that was compared to the sort of press releases that were foaming out of uh, Downing Street, uh, erupting about Scotland almost on a daily, if not daily, certainly a weekly basis. Yeah. Uh, the relationship with Dublin for Downing Street was far healthier and far better than the relationship with Edinburgh. Yeah. Uh, so once it happens, is the point, once it happens, 
uh, everybody's fine about it. It's just it's just sometimes the ideas of these things uh, as problematic. But uh, once it's achieved, I'm fascinated to get your views of the just the nature of the British state. And you can take the fifth on this if you want to. You know, so. <laughs> it's a good one. The fifth, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to incriminate yourself, but. It just seems to me, I mean, just it's, it's just absurd in these days to have a, you know, a monarchy and the House of Lords and so much, you know, of the ownership of the of the country is in these estates that are lords. And, you know, I mean, there's been articles in The Guardian came out recently that, that you know, the Queen has a lot more political influence than is supposed to be believed. Uh, how do you see it? And um, I'll answer as honestly and as you answer, and I will display also my own imperialist hangover. I better start my own imperialist hangover first. <laughs> I, I don't mind the monarchy. I'm quite relaxed about the monarchy, uh, to be honest, which is probably uh, have me on, on many a dartboard in, in some SNP corners uh, immediately. Uh, but, you know, I've relaxed enough of the monarchy. I've got more of a problem with the House of Lords mm-hmm. because they're in the parliament, the legislature. Uh, and they decide laws. And if you live in a democracy, you've got to believe that the people do have the um, right to elect who governs and who legislates. The one thing that I do notice, though, the practicalities of it, is that the party system is so well or badly managed, depending on how you want to see it in the Commons, uh, and threats and all sorts of nonsense are used in the Commons, and in all parties, well, reshuffles, shall we say, being one. In the Lords, they give more time to thinking of legi- on legislation. And a lot of the thinking that should be happening in the Commons is abdicated to, to the Lords. Now, is that because in the Commons they can afford to do this because they know that there, there is sort of a safety net under them? Many, most Lords that I've come across do try to think of things in the round. Um, however, we still go back to the problem that they're not elected. I'd been come back one time from uh, Baltic countries and been there with the um, Westminster Foundation for Democracy. Actually, no, I was one of the, not Baltic, I'm saying the Balkan countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were standing in central lobby and I said, we've just been talking about democracy. Do you, you talk about the House of Commons? Did you ever mention the House of Lords? And the leader from the, we never mentioned it at all. So, you know, the UK goes off and will lecture about democracy, but then outside they fail to mention that inside of the Palace of Westminster is the largest unelected chamber outside the uh, People's Congress, or whatever it's called, in, in Beijing, uh, China. Yeah. Uh, so. and, and also, I think that um, uh, the, the House of Lords uh, shares the dubious distinction with the uh, parliament in, uh, in Iran, that it has clerics in the, uh, in, in the, in the chamber. As well. Only some clerics, yeah. It's only, only Church of England clerics, yeah. Oh, oh I didn't, okay. I didn't, I didn't realize no, that. But, you know, that, so, you know that, that state, well, put it this way. As the wise Irishman, if I was going to set out, I wouldn't start from here. Uh, and that is roughly kind of where, where the UK is. At the moment. You wouldn't start from what you've got at the moment. It's not, it's not the best. But uh, as regards the Queen, as I've said, I'm, I'm comfortable enough with the Queen. Okay. All right. Uh, it's the union of the parliaments that bothers me, not the union of the crowns. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Given, given response to Keating in the Scottish court, why would it be worthwhile to pursue this further? Why would the Supreme Court decide otherwise? Whilst I sympathize with, with using May as the de facto referendum, SMP have set their stall on having a proper referendum. So what is the point of in arguing? Um, well, firstly, there's always a point in arguing. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> you know, are we going to have a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi? Well, that's worth a good 10-minute argument. Hey, hey, you're talking to someone who survived the cola wars of the 1980s, so please don't go on to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was obviously a very lucrative argument for, for some people. You know, I do think it's worth pointing out to people, and I say, I don't know how often I say this, and people don't fully uh, compute. There is no guarantee of a referendum in the next Scottish Parliament. That is quite an amazing thing. You can tell people over and over again, there's no guarantee of a referendum in the next Scottish Parliament, no matter the size of the mandate. Even if the SNP was to win every seat, there's still no guarantee of a referendum in the next Scottish Parliament. And we should be absolutely clear with people that that is the reality. It might be. We might. We won't. Boris Johnson could decide that uh, he wants to give us a Section 30, so that's one possibility. We could go to the courts and we could win. That's another possibility. We'd probably most likely lose. And if we were in in the danger of winning, we faced the real risk of Westminster and through Boris Johnson removing the powers. Again, you know, we saw Lord Dunlop uh, just the other day saying the thing we 
we don't want to ask them, don't want to ask the question, don't let them have a referendum. To concede a referendum would be madness or silly or whatever he said. From his point of view, he's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. You know, if if there's you know, if there's a referendum, Mark, uh, myself, let's say there's four of us in a room and we're all going to decide by referendum that we're going to empty your bank account and you've got the power of veto of the referendum or you, because you know that if the referendum happens that three of us are going to split your bank account between us and off we go. Which option are you going to take? Are you going to let us have a referendum <laughs> or are you going to block that referendum? You're going to block the referendum. I mean, so therefore we have to face the fact in Scotland that the referendum could be blocked. And, you know, I've asked Michael Russell, what's the plan? What's the fallback plan? And there is no fallback plan. Um, you just have to wait and see what we'll do at that time. But it isn't like no plan, but uh, there's, there's no established plan at the moment. Uh, so they can't be guaranteed. Um, and... I would, I would like to think that there'd be that, that something would come the way, but there was no fallback plan for Brexit. There was no fallback plan for uh, saying no in January uh, 2019 to the Section 30, although, sorry, in January 2020, although conference uh, 2019 did give the indication to members that there was some sort of secret on the go. Yeah, just well, leave it I, with I, us. I, I went to every once, I think since Aberdeen, and I think it was 2017, I, w I went to every uh, you know uh, conference, and I haven't been to one since the, the, the one you're referring to, because there hasn't been one <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh, uh, and But um, but every every speech, you know, by Nicola Sturgeon and others, they were saying there will be another referendum, you know, there will be an independence referendum. I remember, you know, Angus Robertson saying it and, and always hinting, but... You know, I mean, we don't know. I mean, you know, and, and then that's the, and I think that a lot of people are very disillusioned, you know. Well, they, they, they were kept telling us, you, know, you, don't want to let, you don't want to let people know you want to play your cards close to your chest. Uh, you want to. Uh, you, yeah, I heard that. That's what, that's, what, that's, what David, that's what David Davis said all the time about the Brexit negotiations. Yeah, yeah, oh, well, you can't tell them what you're going to do. Oh, it's got to be awful secret. So we could. Well, from, from January 29, uh, 2020, we discovered the secret plan was the actual secret was there was no secret. That unfortunately was a secret, and we we are where we are at the moment. And you know, it, it, <clears throat> we should be able to sort of, as adults, discuss this sort of stuff and not say we can't do this in front of the children. But we haven't done this at conference. We haven't taken uh, the role seriously. Please demolish my arguments in conference. Um, please uh, let me uh, put your your strong points, your weak points, to, to to the membership. You may convince me to come round, yeah. but don't sort of. Um, Throw things to one side and and pretend that uh, just by just by rubbishing something or by giving the membership a view that, that there's something coming when there isn't. You know that's people have been misled there. They were misled at conference 2019. Yeah. What possible reason could uh, there be not to make uh, May election a plebiscite? Uh, I, uh, I. Well, I, I I'll, I'll try and argue against myself. Right. So the the bestest argument I've heard about this is that you might put the people off so much. Uh, they want independence, but they want it to bring. You might put them off and they wouldn't then vote for independence and you'd lose the election. You wouldn't lose, you still emerge, emerge as the largest party. Uh, to me, you know, I can kind of, maybe, maybe it's a possibility in that. Let's examine it further. Well, Mar um, Scott Goes Pop, James Kelly did some polling on that and that didn't seem to hold through. Um, and, you know, to, to me, the prize is so great. You, you'll you'll win independence if 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 it comes through. If you're prepared for that moment of courage, as the first Estonian or uh, president or prime minister said in the Leslie Rinnock documentary, you need that moment of courage sometimes. You know, we mm. need this moment of courage in Scotland. We're constantly hedging, hedging, hedging. What if? What if Boris says no? Yeah, what if this doesn't yeah. happen? What if that doesn't happen? Yeah. Well, we've done so many what ifs, waiting for the perfect moment. What if I go to kick the ball in the back of the net and Augusta Wind comes and moves the ball? The ball at the moment is sitting in the front of the net, just whack it into the back of the net. So the argument sort of is, is that we wouldn't, we wouldn't then command a majority. Well, what would, what would the difference be from, from between then and now? Well, we don't command a majority at the moment, so it would be where we are at the moment. So we'd lose nothing and we wouldn't have gained independence. Uh, and then, given that the referendums might be blocked anyway, let's just make a policy that every election from now on is a referendum on independence up to the people to to vote for it if they want, and that that's what we should be. We're we're not the managers of devolution, uh, which is a very unsatisfactory uh, situation to be mitigating the crazy policies of the Tories, as we haven't to do in innumerable occasions. Uh, but we should become the party that's, that's pushing seriously for independence, and we could be doing that. We're we're going to remain the biggest party in Scotland. That that's certain. 
yeah. and we've also got the possibility of a greater prize. Uh, could it, could the Scottish Grand Committee be used to forward independence? And I, I, I guess I'm sort of taking that as calling home the, the, SN, the, the Westminster MPs and having some big convention. I mean, they talked about that before. I mean, I, I haven't seen any indication that that would actually like happen or any serious discussion. Well, maybe it could, but it, it, has, it has a step before it. And the step before it, I mean, it's not one I've given great thought to, but the step before it is you need the legitimacy of the people. Yeah. You know, 40 odd of us in an SNP group meeting can't really say that the people have gone for this. You're going to have to go to them in an election. So perhaps you could go to them at a, at a Westminster election and say, you know, if we get the majority here, this is what's going to happen. Um, we will do something like that. At the moment, no. We can't just go and declare UDI. We can't. We can't sort of dissolve the union. We need to say so from the people. And that's why the ballot box has got to be used. That's why I'm looking at the next ballot box opportunity, which is in May. Um, the one of the Scottish Grand Communities, um, I'm just thinking totally on my feet here, it's not one I've given much thought to. That could only really carry any legitimacy, if it had prior legitimacy from the people at the ballot box yeah. at an election. And you'd said to the people at the ballot box election, if we when we want independence and majority, and if this doesn't happen, that will happen. Yeah. Uh, we want independence from the majority of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is a good thing about dialogue. You, you, ideas come to you, that uh, or, or other people's ideas come to you. Uh, and, you know, like somebody might actually point sort of like, like that, and you know, it, somebody else might, might listen to my answer and say, you know, actually, you were wrong there, Angus, because um, that point could mean that, that, and that. And, you know, it, it, is, the, it is the interplay of so many people's thoughts and knowledge that actually changes things. But if no, we say exactly. we're only doing this 11-point plan, end of story, and we're going to court in three years' time. Yeah, then. yeah. I have a, I, I do an online uh, philosophy class with my students, and it's just wonderful. We just, you just have a dialogue like we're having now, and you just start thinking things differently, and you know, you, you're not in this kind of blinkered view of, of, of things. And, yeah. that, and, and that's why I, it's such a shame that the, that certain aspects of the SNP don't want to... Uh... Yeah, I mean, it's the ballot box. We've got to use the ballot box. Now, we are thrown to the fact we've got to use the ballot boxes only in a referendum and not an election. That the people can only speak about independence in a referendum and not, uh, not an election. Uh, and then this makes it easier for Boris Johnson. He's only able to block the, the referendum ballot boxes. And he's, he's an easy street. Mm -hmm. uh, we will have to be more creative if he is ultimately successful in that, which I fear he will be. Yeah. Um, David Henry's suggestion, vote for the Scottish Parliament to be the only sovereign parliament for the Scottish nation. Sounds good to me. <laughs> you know, yeah, again, you've just got to go to the people with that and the people have got to vote for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, uh, this, this is a, a question that maybe I'll put a little bit more softly, but, uh, uh, but it combines with other questions. If there isn't, I mean, it, it, is the SNP going to suffer serious repercussions if they don't produce some means of, um, of achieving independence, whether it be through this, you know, through a plebiscitory election or being able to have a, a, a referendum and which you, I believe, correctly state is uh, impossible to guarantee. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think what would happen then would be an internal upheaval uh, to utterly change and to make 2026, which should have happened in 2021, which is the, the loss of five years. Um, you know, we can all see that we've all worked for the vehicle that is the SNP to be what it is. Uh, for a number of years, uh, certain people are at the helm at the moment with certain views and certain policies. Uh, that direction of helm would have to change, um, it, or the or the helms people follow different instructions from the members. Um, so what I, what I would see is ultimately if that was a failure. You'd have change of policy. Hopefully by that stage, after banging their heads against against the wall after two and three elections, uh, that those at the helm would be happier. Uh, to change course under maybe uh, instructions from from new navigators. Okay, all right. We'll finish off a couple questions before we before we wrap it up. But I, I guess just for a bunch of a, a bit of comic relief, uh, do you think Edward coming to live in Edinburgh will unite the, re unite the union? <laughs> Is this Prince Edward? Is this? Uh, yeah, they, they were talking about. How, I think it was something Gove cooked up, and they said, "Oh, send Edward to live in in Holy." Well, I thought that was why Harry went to America, that they were hoping to reverse the Declaration of Independence of 1776. <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't think if, if, um, if Edward uh, 
of all the names, I mean, it couldn't be Prince Andrew. I mean, Prince Edward, Hammer of the Scots. Oh my word, your PR's not good there, lads. Send yeah, you, send some send some of the better name. I know. And sorry, why even, is that even so Bonnie Prince Charlie? <laughs> why? Sorry, why is King Edward historically? Why is King Edward like? Well, he was he was the opposing monarch that was uh, defeated by Robert the Bruce in, in 1314. Okay. When Robert the Bruce would wanted to turn and flee, he decided he felt he was outnumbered, that he, he, he couldn't carry the day. But luckily, uh, the, the, the sort of uh, hierarchical view of, of his nobles around about him uh, counselled Bruce to do something differently, i.e. To, to stand and fight and to have the moment of courage. Uh, and I, was, I think it was Angus Oak MacDonald and Neil Campbell from Isla and from Argyll uh, they probably saved some Scotland. Of my, some of my ancestors are the McDonald's from Isla. Well, there you go. We, we, we owe you a great debt, Mark. Okay. It, it might have been a direct ancestor of yours that saved Scotland, you don't know. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Claim it anyway. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll say it's in the family lore and, you know. But, but, you know, rather than, rather than just think because Bruce was king that he's now brilliant at everything mm-hmm. and that he must know, you know, xyz things you know they actually saw him as, as a human being he was and his frailties and that he was making incorrect calls and they counseled him to make another call and you know having that having that courage to stand up to the king of scots at the time uh paid, div- paid dividends for scots in scotland so yeah i i think um, another observation on this idea of sending edward to live in edinburgh it just shows what are they thinking they just misunderstand scott so profoundly I mean, I mean, if Edward, if Edward comes to live in Edinburgh, like most, uh, like most others who come to live in Edinburgh from England, he'll be joining the SNP in no time at all. You know, uh, which send him a letter, snp.org forward slash join. You know, Prince Edward, we can maybe present him with a card. He might actually just be an asset for independence. I mean, there's, there's no such thing as the lost soul mark as regards Scottish independence. <laughs> okay, uh, just before we wrap it up, do you have any concluding remarks to our discussion? No, I mean, I think I think we covered a number of things. I didn't have to use the Fifth Amendment too often there. Just uh, so, so I'm 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 grateful. Um, no, we we just wait and see how things go. I mean, you know, again, people say you know you you're probably going to lose this. You're not getting far with this, Angus, uh, and they're probably right. Uh, but you know, we are planting a lot of acorns. I think in people's heads, um, yeah. a, a lot of people hope it'll be all right in the night. I hope it'll be all right in the night. It'd be lovely if it was wrong and we had a referendum and. The, that, that this was wrong, but I think we're in, we're inoculating people against the next time, um, and to make sure that we're not blowing it. Because you know, in 2019, there was a lot more silent about the prospects of of, of the constitutional non-advancement. I'm less silent about it this time. So you know, there'll be more people uh, able to hear, and with a bit of luck, I'm wrong. So uh, there you go. Yeah, That's well, all I want to say. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, but stick around for a bit after. Uh, but uh, so thank you very, thank you all the you viewers for watching. We really enjoyed it as always. We loved your questions and uh, always stimulates a, a great discussion with, uh, with Angus and the other guests I've had. So uh, again, thank you so much, Angus, for joining us this evening. Thank you. Top lid. <laughs>